To be a servant of God and to each other provides us with a calling of the highest order. And every believer participates in that high privilege. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Our scripture uh, this morning is taken from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, chapter 6 and verses 1 through 9. Ephesians 6, 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slaves or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. 1958, the coasters take out the paper and the trash. Or you ain't going to get no spending cash. If you don't scrub that kitchen floor, you ain't going to rock and roll no more. Yakety yak, don't talk back. Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that dust fly with the broom. Get all that garbage out of sight. Or you're not going to go out Friday night. Yakety yak, don't talk back. You just put on your coat and hat and walk yourself to the laundromat. And when you're finished doing that, take out the dog and bring in the cat. Yakety yak, don't talk back. I asked this morning, how often do we open up the Word of God, as we have today, and rather than hearing the voice of a loving Heavenly Father, we, ha- we hear something akin to yakety yak. Here is your list for today. Make sure that you read your Bible. Make sure that you pray. And by the way, be the best parent on the planet. And if you know what's good for you, you'll have it all done. And don't ask any questions along the way. What I want to talk about this morning is 
a new way of looking at serving the master. And I want us to understand that service to God is not just a busy list. I want us to see that service to God is far from being a Christian version of yakety yak. It is the call of God to be partners with Jesus Christ, the greatest servant that this world has ever known in the greatest work that this world has ever known. Now, I believe that we would all agree this morning that uh, we in our culture do not have a very positive attitude about the word servant. I don't believe I've ever uh, heard of someone bragging about uh, and testifying about their vocation as if they were proud of being a servant. And yet, we find in God's Word that to be a servant is the greatest calling in life. And brothers and sisters, the joy of serving the Master is just such a joy. And to discover that joy is the greatest treasure in the Christian life. And I want to help us to discover that joy today. So the first question that we must address is, what does it mean to be a servant to the Master? Serving the Master means that we are living out the Lordship of Christ in every area of life. We are living out the Lordship of Christ in every area of life. That's what it means to be a servant. And our text this morning outlines some important principles by which we can gain a clearer understanding of this royal call. First of all, what we see is that serving the master is a call to rearrange our priorities. Now here I believe that the great apostle Paul provides us with a gleaming, a gleaming example of how that faith in Jesus Christ helps to rearrange our priorities. There have been many who read this passage and they want to slam Paul for missing a golden opportunity to speak the truth about the institution of slavery. And what they believe is here Paul could once and for all have set the record straight about the immorality of slavery. But why doesn't he do that? Well, Paul did not see as his primary goal the immediate transformation of the social order. This great theologian and missionary pursued as his goal not the transformation of society, but the transformation of the human heart. For without the transformation of the human heart, social progress was impossible. And so Paul, as it were, were leaving the implications of the gospel, and that is the changing of the social order, for others in future generations to investigate. And in this concentration on the heart, Paul is just like Jesus. 
To Jesus and to Paul, the priority of life was the heart. Jesus always looked beyond the surface to the heart of a person. He wasn't impressed with the outward appearance. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. I want to ask you this morning, what is the state of your heart? What are you doing to care for your heart? I'm not asking how busy you are or how much you're involved in the church. I hope that you are. But I just want to know this morning, has the Christian faith come to sound more like yakety yak? You see, I believe in our culture we are primed to neglect the issues of the heart. What I think happens so much in the Christian life today is we have learned that we can get by just by doing and saying the right things and never confronting the issues of the heart. And we do that over and over, and we can live a life like that. But eventually, what happens? What happens is this. Eventually, what's there in the heart begins to come out. And what you will see as you look out someone, and maybe this person is you, maybe it's me, that we will do something that we said five years ago we wouldn't think about doing. What's happened? The heart has begun to take over. And that neglect of the heart has begun to show itself. So in verse 5, Paul does not say to the slaves, submit to your masters with begrudging obedience. He says, do it with fear and trembling. In the sincerity of your hearts, just as you would obey Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. You see, the goal of Christ's work in our life is is not to make unpleasant people nice. It is to make sinners holy. How? By rearranging our priorities so that the things that we say and the things that we do flow from a pure heart of love and thanksgiving to God. That's holiness. Holiness is a matter of the heart. Holiness is answering the call of a new identity in Christ as the people of God. And that identity is a loving, faithful, thankful servant of God. So serving the master means rearranging our priorities to embrace the matters of the heart. But secondly, serving the master actually defines the will of God for our lives. And here it's very interesting as Paul outlines the duties and responsibilities of the children, the fathers, the slaves, and the masters. He says this very interesting thing. Doing the will of God from your heart. 
Now, I believe that the question of doing the will of God for my life has probably created more Christian neurotics than anything that I know. You've probably asked yourself, as I have myself on numerous occasions, what is God's will for my life? What does God want me to do? And normally when we uh, say that, we are thinking of things like... uh, What school should I attend, or who should I marry, or what vocation should I uh, go to, and those kinds of things. And all that's well and good. But how can you and I be confident that we are doing the will of God? How can we know that the choices that we make line up with God's will for my life? How can I know that? Well, if I read Paul right here, what he's saying is that doing the will of God is not primarily a matter of making perfect decisions. The ultimate issue that defines the will of God is are we serving the master? Uh, Let me take just for instance your vocation. The number one question, if you're seeking the will of God for your vocation, is not where can I be the most successful. It's not even what vocation would bring me the most personal satisfaction. The ultimate question about defining the will of God is where and how can I serve the Master right where I am am. This is the bottom line of doing the will of God. And I would even dare say that if you are here today and you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and your desire is to serve Him from the heart, you will never make a wrong decision about the will of God for your life. How do I know that? Proverbs 3, verse 5, you probably know it by heart. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. You see, so it's not near as much about your making the right decisions as it is the faithfulness of God to lead you all along the way. Now, my mother and father, when they gave me my first Bible as a child, that verse in Proverbs was was underlined. And what I have learned through the years is that the call of to do the will of God is not something just for young people. Doing the will of God is a call to everyone who names the name of Christ. All of us are called to acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. Every one of us is called to be a servant of the Master. And this is what it means to accomplish the will of God. I remember struggling with this myself earlier in my life. 
I felt the call of God to the ministry. But I really wanted to know for sure. How was I supposed, what was I supposed to do? Uh, was this really what God wanted me to do? And, and I struggled, and sometimes I just wished that God would just put it down, show me a verse of Scripture, write it on the sky, do something to tell me what it is He wanted me to do. But I never took a lot of a stock in looking for signs. Some people do. I, I have trouble with that. It kind of reminds me of the the farmer uh, who was out in his field one day, and he was struggling. This is God. Is this what you called me to do? And so he's praying and praying, and he looks up into the sky, and and he sees the clouds form three letters, P, T, F, and he thought a minute, and he said, "Wow, preach the faith. God is calling me to the ministry." And so he sold his farm. He went to seminary. He became a a minister, and things all through his ministry fell apart. And finally, when he died, he went to heaven, and he asked God, he said, I did the best I could. I was seeking your will. When I saw that PTF, I thought it was you telling me to preach the faith. And God said, man, you had it all wrong. I was telling you to plow the field. Well, I can tell you that my call to the ministry came is I became an active volunteer in preaching at a local nursing home. I began to serve Christ in whatever way that I knew at the time. And as I did, my passion for ministry began to grow and to grow. And one day it dawned on me that in this simple act of service, there was a major revelation in my life. I was serving the Master. I was doing the will of God. And after that, my call to the ministry became a no-brainer. It all happened and became clear as I served the Lord in the simple matters of everyday life. Now, serving the Master not only calls us to rearrange our priorities, it not only defines for us the will of God, but thirdly, serving the Master calls us to a proper use of our power. What do I mean by that? Well, I think in order for us to appreciate and adequately understand what's at stake here, we need to understand a little bit about Roman culture. You see, in Roman society, the power of the father over his family was practically absolute. He could sell them as slaves. He could make them work in the fields, even in change. He could punish them as he liked. And in addition, it's been computed that there were as many as 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. A, a, a terrible idleness had fallen on the citizens of Rome. And the slaves did practically all of the work in the empire. And what this all added up to was a huge opportunity for the abuse of power. And so Paul is addressing that here. He calls to the fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath. And to the masters, he writes, 
render service to your slaves and give up threatening, knowing that both your master and theirs is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. Power is an awesome thing. And at some time or other, most of us have enough of it to destroy someone's life or character. It's the words that we speak, the attitudes that we display that are the instruments of our power. Think of the power of a parent. It's the power to bless and the power to curse. It's the power to emancipate or the power to enslave. Here you have that totally dependent child coming into the world asking basic questions. Does anyone care? Can anyone be trusted? Am I a worthwhile or lovely person? Think of the power of a teacher. Many of you here today, and I'm included, are where you are in life because you had a teacher who was on your side. You had a teacher that was interested more in imparting to you a thirst for godliness and character as imparting knowledge. And what about the power of a friend? What an awesome power it is. As a friend, you hold treasured secrets and confidence. There are vulnerable moments in which the faith and the trust of a friend can be shattered. A friend comes and asks for forgiveness, for a weakness or a sin or a failure. You have the power to crush. You have the power to set free. And I am humbled by the power given to us as pastors and church leaders. Often people come to us for comfort and answers and spiritual guidance. And how important it is for you as a congregation to have men and women that you can trust as leaders. And we know that, unfortunately, harsh, critical, graceless leadership seems to be all too common in our churches today. So serving Christ means being, means being very careful about the way you use your power. It's not difficult to see how many people and how many families have been destroyed because of the abuse of power. Spouse abuse, child abuse, harassment in the workplace, tongue lashings and judgmentalism, and on and on I could go, sometimes even in the name of religion and Christianity. If you've ever been a victim of anything like that, you know what I'm talking about. The power of power is awesome. But we have the power to bless as well as the power to curse. But the way that we can use our power properly is this. We use our power properly when we serve the master by serving one another. 
For serving the master calls us to rearrange our priorities, to focus on the matters of the heart. And that might mean that we have to go and seek forgiveness for someone that we have hurt. That might be that we need to invest much more of our time in the relationships in our lives. But this is the joy. This is the joy of serving Christ. We become instruments of blessing to others. Now maybe... There's someone here this morning that might say, uh, Stan, the whole thing of looking at myself as a slave and a servant is somewhat beneath my dignity. Why well, I try to help people and do what I can to be a good citizen and a good Christian. But I, I really resist being called a slave and a servant. Well, I want to remind you of the greatest servant that this world has ever known. I'm speaking, of course, of the King of glory. This King has came and what he said was, I have not come to be served. I have come to serve. And who did he come to serve? He came to serve you. He came to serve me. And Paul says in Philippians that this attitude of Christ was that he took the form of a servant. And where did it land him? We know on a cross. Serving you and serving me. Knowing all along that all he had to do was to call the forces of heaven to come and rescue him. He didn't have to do what he did. But he took the form of a servant. Dare we do less. Folks, this is not yakety Yak. It is a call to be a partner with Jesus Christ in the work of God's eternal kingdom. For one day we know that this kingdom of God will reach its culmination in the righteous rule and the sovereign plan of God over the entire earth. And it's then that our service will find its ultimate reward. I offer you today the greatest, most royal call that you could ever receive. And that's a call to be a servant of the Master. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we come with deep hearts of gratitude for this call to be your servant. Give us, Lord, uh, all that we need to rearrange our priorities, to focus on our hearts, that we might do your will 
uh, that we might use our power effectively as servants to be those who bless and not to curse. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Join us Wednesday evenings at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. Our Wednesday Advantage program includes an affordable meal and elective classes for adults with Bible study and music for youth and children. Topics include theology, culture and archaeology, family life, Christian discipleship, prayer and more. Fall semester begins Wednesday, September 2nd. Visit firstpresgreenville.org or call 235-0496 for more details.